Andrew asked me to take over the session for today, and I'm delighted to do so. So what I like to do is start with uh, a little bit of practice. Uh, I wanted to find out from Andy if there's any housekeeping, talking about Andrew's programs, the book club, any of that. Yeah, I'll post some of that stuff in the chat. Thanks for the reminder. I'm also going to post your link as well right now. Yes, I'll be I'll be teaching again uh, my own um, mindfulness and compassion meditation, uh, followed by golf lessons uh, tomorrow. So uh, today, <clears throat> I thought I'd talk a little bit about um, honesty and integrity. Uh, but to start with, I like to settle everything down with the meditation. Uh, that, I, that I often lead these sessions with. So let's check in and tune in to our bodies. Feel fully embodied from the tips of our toes to the top of our head. Uh, often it's like we're thought machines uh, that are carrying a body around with us as opposed to being fully integrated and synchronized with body and mind. So to begin with, let's get grounded. Take a good posture where you're sitting up, upright but not rigid. Let your eyes gently close. And tune into your internal bodily sensations. How your weight is distributed, sit bones pressing on the cushion. Feeling the breath come in your nostrils, cool and dry, going out warm and moist. How you're holding your arms and hands. If your legs are flat on the floor or crossed, just the weight of your feet pressing into the floor or the mat. Do a little body scan from the top of your head all the way down, noticing areas that you're, you might be holding extra tension. Eyes, ears, our jaw, very often we hold tension in our jaw. Just let it relax, let it soften. If your lips part a little bit, that's fine. Neck and shoulders, let your shoulders just hang as if your spine is a tent pole and your shoulders and the rest of your body are, are canvas hanging from that tent pole, tent pole before it's pulled out into a tent. Anywhere you feel there's some stubborn tension, you can do a little intensify and release exercise. You know, just tighten your shoulders for two or three seconds and then just let them drop. Don't force them down, just let them drop. And you can do that anywhere <clears throat> in your body that you're feeling that extra tension. Chest, upper back and arms, upper arms. Rib cage, lower back, deep belly. Often we're holding that deep belly tight and don't even realize it. Without losing your posture, just let it be. 
hips and pelvis, thighs, forearms and hands, knees, calves, ankles and feet. Take a nice full breath in from the top of your head down to your toes, just sweep all the tension out. Let your awareness sink down. Usually we think of our minds as being up here behind our forehead. But just let your awareness fall back and down, down the back of your throat, behind your chest, behind your solar plexus, like a leaf gently settling to the bottom of a pond. Down <clears throat> to the core, that center of energy and power a few inches below your navel, just in front of your spine. Let your awareness rest there. Your lower torso moves in and out as you breathe, like gentle currents at the bottom of that pond. You feel like you're sinking down, sinking through your seat, through the floor, merging with the earth, becoming one with the earth. Like a mountain, your body upright, majestic. Let your breath come and go. Be an observer rather than a director. That's very important. Notice the sensation of the breath coming in and filling you, going out and emptying, sometimes deeper, sometimes shallower, longer or shorter. Just let it be as it is, coming and going like the wind. Let your mind be open to experience without grasping onto it, without pushing it away, without judging it as good or bad. Just notice, like the sky that spans everything below it on the earth without partiality or bias. Body like a mountain, breath like the wind, mind like the sky. Let your eyes gently open, looking downward at about a 45 degree angle out in front of you. But rather than letting your eyes grab onto and fix onto a, a, a single point, let your eyes rest straight ahead, but expand your field of vision around you. Just be aware of the space you're sitting in, aware of your body, aware of the space just a few feet in all directions around you. And tune into your breathing. We use close placement to train our minds to stay present. Like you would train a new puppy, keep it on a short leash and pull it back every time it, it starts to wander. So keep your awareness with the internal sensation of filling and emptying with your breath. Filling as you breathe in, emptying as you breathe out.
In this practice of close placement, if your mind gets captured by a series of thoughts that take you away into a daydream, just smile and recognize it without judging. Daydreaming, think daydreaming and come back to your posture and that internal sensation of filling and emptying. If you get drowsy and sleepy while you do this, pay particular attention to the breath coming in and out of your nostrils and raise your gaze to look more straight ahead. If your mind is wild and full of thoughts, put your awareness deep, deep in your torso. Really feel your lower torso expanding and contracting. Get deep into your body and lower your gaze as if you're looking inside yourself. And if you find your mind is a little more wild, Notice more detail as the breath's coming in and filling you, starting to fill, filling in the moment that you're full. The moment of starting to empty, emptying in the moment you're empty. The more detail you can fill your mind with, the more mindful you'll be of your breathing. Now we shift to environmental awareness. Open your eyes, look straight ahead, and soften your gaze. Open up your peripheral vision as wide as you can to each side, as high and low as you can above and below. And without commentary, and just a minimum of labeling, Notice without moving your eyes around, you can move your awareness around your field of vision and notice colors, shapes, and shades of light and dark. Open your awareness to hearing in all directions. Listen for sounds, near and far, loud and soft, high pitched and low. Notice if there are any smells in the room. Notice if there's any taste in your mouth. In the coffee you've just drunk or tea, maybe what you had for lunch. Little residual sensations. Be aware of your body like we did at the beginning doing your weight pressing into the cushion, 
aware of your body in the space. It's environmental awareness. Be aware of the environment of your thoughts. Be an observer like you were of your like you are of your breathing. Notice thoughts coming and going. Without directing them. Without judging them. Without a concept of how much or little you should be thinking. Let your mind move as it will through your sense perceptions, resting for however long your attention wants to rest on sight, sound, smell, taste, bodily sensation, or thoughts. Again, if you're taken away into a daydream, just smile, think daydreaming, and come back to your body your breath going out into the environment and your sense perceptions. We will follow this with a couple of minutes of compassion meditation first for ourselves, and you can close your eyes or leave them open as you wish. But imagine in your heart center, that's the center of your chest at heart level, a beautiful, beautiful, clear crystal made of light that has amazing transformative qualities, particularly that anything that is gathered into the crystal with a negative energy is instantly transformed into its positive energy opposite. So tune into anything you're feeling that has a negative quality. Negativity about yourself, feelings you're having about others that you don't like feeling, physical discomfort or illness, dis ease, as we've talked about, separating this and ease, any uneasiness, mental, any dis-ease physical. And imagine that as you breathe in, you gather that from all parts of your being, physical, mental, spiritual, if you make a distinction there. Gather that into the crystal in your heart as you breathe in. It instantly transforms and as you breathe out, that crystal radiates. You see the moon over my shoulder. It radiates cool moonlight with the qualities of kindness and compassion. It fills your body with the opposite of those negative energies. Ease instead of dis-ease. Peace instead of struggle. Patience replaces frustration and irritation. Forgiveness 
replaces blame and guilt. Breathe any of those negative qualities in to the crystal. As you breathe out, it radiates and fills your being with kindness, peace, and happiness, and good health. Now, as best you can, <clears throat> imagine around you the circle of all your loved ones, family and friends, who also have all those negative experiences. <clears throat> as you breathe in, you gather them all into the crystal in your heart, in your heart center. It instantly transforms them and radiates out the cool moonlight of kindness that fills their beings with the opposite positive energy healthiness, peace, and happiness. And as best you can expand that to anyone you can think of, people you've met, people you haven't, people you like, people you dislike. And if you feel a dislike towards someone, then as you gather in their negative energy, take in your own at the same time into the crystal in your heart center. Radiate out to yourself and to all others. Freedom from confusion, struggle, hatred. Freedom from all the negative emotions and energies. Filling their body with health, peace, and happiness. Include all beings, all creatures great and small as best you can. As the Dalai Lama said, everyone wants the happiness, no one wants suffering. Gather in all the suffering in the universe, it transforms in the crystal in your heart and radiates out, filling the universe with peace and happiness. And we often follow this meditation with an aspiration may all and every one of us, because we want to include our, ourselves, may all beings, every one of us, have happiness and the roots of happiness, be free from suffering and the roots of suffering, have the great peace and happiness beyond conventional happiness and suffering. May we have the great equanimity free from passion, aggression, and prejudice. So thank you for participating in our little meditation. And um, <clears throat> Andrew always asked me to make some remarks at the beginning. Um, and he's talked a lot about emptiness which connects so much with the dream-like quality of um, nighttime dreams, uh, which we call the double illusion, as well as the dream-like illusion of 
our waking, our so-called waking life. And it, it, you know, in the same way that I said, uh, let your mind be full of your experience of your body. That's what mindful means. When the mind is full of the present moment, it's empty of conceptualizing about the present moment or about the past and the future. So when we say emptiness, we don't mean empty like the vacuum of space. We mean empty of overlay, empty of extra embellishment that's unnecessary. Empty of anything beyond the natural qualities. From the point of view of our mind and spirit, we're talking about empty of anything other than our inherent awakened nature. And so when it's empty of anything other than that, then it's full of amazing experiences. I, I remember uh, being a new student of Trungpa Rinpoche and uh, Tibetan teachers, uh, all Buddhist teachers, when they um, conduct the ceremony of giving refuge, which is the formal statement that you're going to be a Buddhist, that you take refuge in the Buddha as example in the Dharma as the teachings or path and the Sangha as companions on that path. That um, very often the teacher gives the student a Buddhist name uh, that is indicative of the path and their potentiality. So I remember when we had a little uh, meeting with Trungpa Rinpoche and I asked, I, I said, you know, some people you've, you've only seen, they've walked into your room, into your office, said hello, you greeted them, hi, how are you? And they say, fine, you say, it's very nice seeing you and they leave. And that's their whole experience with you. How can you give them a name that is the basis for their practice for the rest of their life? And his answer to me was, um, when someone walks into the room, there's a fantastic display. And in future conversations, I understood that what he meant was, if you're not preoccupied with anything at all about yourself, you can see everything about what's going on around you. If you're preoccupied with what's in it for you, then you filter everything based on what you're looking for. And ultimately, when we talk about the, um, the even further advanced practices in Vajrayana Buddhism, the Mahamudra, we talk about looking without looking for anything, seeing without trying to see anything. And it's that quality of presence without grasping 
that that we really are that that's the um, active expression of emptiness, which becomes compassion. And that's how emptiness and compassion tie in together. We've talked in the past about idiot compassion, where you feel sorry for someone and do something based on what you think, you, what will make you happy to give them. But you'll feel better. I'll feel better if I can give you this. That's, that's not compassion based on the other person. That's self-referential compassion. Then we have other referential compassion based on what they need. And ultimately, when one's experience of uh, emptiness uh, and uh, spaciousness is really, really free of self-reference, then, sponta- then the spontaneous response to any situation is the compassionate response. We can get some glimpse of that from any of our uh, practice, that if, if we find some relief and some uh, freedom from struggle, it is a natural feeling. It, it's part of our nature to say, ooh, I see other people struggling un- and, it's, and it's not necessary. That's where the compassion arises. As soon as we get a glimpse that, you know what? I'm giving myself a hard time way more than I <laughs> than is really called for or needed. When we have some relief from, uh, in, in treating ourselves better, we immediately see how other people are not treating themselves well. And compassion arises and we want to say something that we want to say, you don't have to do that. It doesn't have to be that way. And that's the natural compassion that arises out of freedom from self-reference. So I uh, just thought I'd share that as a, if we want to talk more about that. If there's anything else that you'd like to talk about, uh, open. And if you have any questions about the practices that we did, Please, this is a good time to, uh, to clarify them. Andy, do you have anything or any leftover from last week? Um, nothing from last week, but uh, I see Alex just raised his hand. So let's go on Alex first. Sounds good. Uh, hi, hi everyone. Uh, hi, hi, Alex. Nice to see you again. Hi, thank you. Uh, likewise, likewise. Uh, uh, I, I've been I've been thinking about it. Uh, people ask very deep questions here, and I, I, they got me thinking all, all this while, and I, 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 I wasn't able to come up with a deep question. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I, I just wanna. I'm wondering. I've been I've been keeping a practice uh, of four intervals uh, 
because that's the way that uh, a teacher taught me. This has been for a couple of years. Uh, and this is pretty much pretty simple. Uh, the first interval I count, I, 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 I inhale, exhale, and count one. Inhale, exhale, two, and I go so like like so until ten, and then second interval I change my counting before inhaling and exhaling. Third interval I stop counting, and I start going deep inside myself or trying to do, uh, just stay stay in focus in my breathing. And four interval it's kind of the same. It works for me every time. I grasp in the best of my capacity, a little bit of, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, meditative state, or I don't know, it does work for me. So I'm wondering if I, I'm very jealous of my practice as well. Like I, I'm, I, I didn't even, even wanted to ask because I'm afraid that you're going to tell me any different and that I should change it. I but, think I think you should do it completely the opposite. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the the uh, practices that you're describing, uh, they're in the tradition in the um, mindfulness and awareness tradition, uh, shamatha vipassana, of, often translated as um, tranquility and insight meditations. Uh, the, particularly the tranquility meditations, there are hundreds of them. There are many different objects. Uh, they're sometimes resting the mind on a visual object, sometimes on a sound, uh, sometimes on counting, sometimes the way I uh, did it on paying attention to different phases of the breathing, different, sometimes picking particular places on the body to pay attention to. Uh, I've done the counting backwards, forwards, on the out-breath, on, you know, one on the in-breath, two on the out-breath, uh, and then if, if you got mixed up and you're even and odd on the other ones, you go, oh, I lost track. Um, if you find if you're counting to ten and you find yourself on eleven or twelve, you realize that you you lost track. So yeah. um, so any of those uh, variations are fine to do. It is important uh, for what works for you. And if you have a teacher that instructed you that particular way, you should do it the way your teacher instructed you. Now the only caveat I would have, the only warning I would have is um, when we talk about what you used the word grasping when you talked about the meditative state and you don't want to hold too tight and get attached to that. Uh, Trang Rinpoche talked with us during the three-year retreat. There was a, one particular practice that we did that he said you may have some particularly good and particularly bad experiences. And he said don't get too excited when they're good and attached to and try and hold on to those and don't get too depressed when they're when you don't seem to be able to do it so it's very important to have a sense of humor about the practice as well now one of the lines in the uh 
supplication to the Kagyu lineage, the Tatpo Kagyu, is um, may my meditation be free from conceptions. Now, when we say free from conceptions, that doesn't mean free from words, you know, uh, thoughts that are words. It means free from conceptions about whether I'm doing it right or not, how I'm doing, am I getting it, am I not getting it, um, meditation should feel like this, it shouldn't feel like that, all of those conceptions, instead it's saying, let whatever arises in the mind be as it is, without altering it, without trying to make it into something else. And so, so for you, the process that you talked about is just fine. Um, and not dissimilar to things that I've taught. Uh, when you talk about the third phase of just openness, it's kind of like that open awareness that I taught today um, and, and uh, taught. Um, I introduced that for, uh, in Andrew's program last year in Sedona to do that open awareness because it was a transition to then do open awareness as we walked around outside. So that third part of uh, open awareness and the fourth part of just resting in the meditative state, as much as you can do those, that's fabulous. Uh, intervals are great. In fact, in the Mahamudra tradition, it says uh, um, many short intervals rather than try and grind out some kind of long, hard practice where you you try to hold on to things. It's touch and go. You touch the moment, let go of it. Touch the moment, let go of it. And so when we say short intervals, we don't mean that you practice for two minutes and then you get up and do other stuff. You can practice for short intervals and then kind of just let go of everything. Let go of the practice, let go of the technique. <sighs> I've also studied with Kenpo Rinpoche that Andrew refers to as his teacher very often. And this was his meditation. He'd sit there and go, okay, all done. <laughs> it was like that. So um, you, you just take a fresh start as often as you need to. So I hope that's helpful. It is, it is, Joseph. Uh, so, uh, should I just keep going like this, making as many? I've I seen some really fascinating effects on my dream time, and mm -hmm. it's 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 really. I, I really try to be as accepting mm -hmm. when it comes down to whatever it happens in the dream time, and really like. Sometimes I, I, I really see it as sci-fiction. Yes. But I'm, I'm I, like, if, for example, if what's I get the, to what's see- What's the problem? Well, if I ever get to see an entity there, like, 
it often happens in a dream-like state. You know, you can dream with relatives or, 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 or even different things. In your opinion, is this real or is, well, what is real there? And in these <laughs> entities are real or is just my mind making them up, projecting them? It's, I don't know, I, I, I guess. Well, I, I, I have I, a question, I, I have a question for you. Can you see my image on your, the screen of your device? Yes. Is that real? <laughs> yes ish <laughs> perfect i love it yes ish it's real ish really it's it, it only appears in your mind in fact i don't know what you're seeing because what you're seeing is is our light pixels on a screen that are going into your eyes that register in your brain and it's your version of what's on that screen. So I can't know what that is. So it's very much realish. Right. I love that. Is it real? Yes or no? Yes, ish. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Joseph. Thanks, Alex. So I have um, a chat question, a few chat questions that came in. Uh, the first one was from Greg, um, and it's private, so you won't see it if you're looking in there. Oh, okay. Uh, um, so he was interested uh, that you uh, you had taught a debate class at the Natarta Institute. Yes. And so he was asking um, if you could say a little bit more about the interface between debate and your practice. Okay. Um... When uh, the Tibetan approach, the Tibetan Buddhist approach to debate is a kind of analytical meditation. And its purpose is to um, you know, in, in yoga they, uh, and, and some of the physical yogas, they talk about um, uh, breaking up the blockages in the energy flow in our body. And we have blockages in our mental approach. We have assumptions and we have uh, um, fixed attitudes towards things. And the debate is uh, practice and analytical meditation is to break up those kinds of things. So when you debate with someone, you, you're, you're questioning their uh, fixating on things being a particular way. It was very interesting when I first, uh, I, I first took a debate class and it, it had to do with um, presenting cause and effect relationships. Now, when we, when we did this, we used something called Venn diagrams, which are, uh, um, I'll see if I can, I don't know if this is gonna show up on the screen. Uh, let's see. 
There. See that circle, right? Yeah. Oops. No, it's not working because I have the background. But basically, it was two overlapping circles like that. And so there's a part where it applies to only one situation. Something applies only to another situation. And then something that applies to both. So we would present teachings of the Dharma and say um, things like uh, a rock is impermanent because it's red. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Just because it's red doesn't mean that it's impermanent. So you would take apart these kinds of logical conclusions. And in fact, we would find that some of the things that we have assumptions about, we really haven't looked into, into the thorough detail. Now, ultimately, what the purpose of debate was, was to let go of any concept about anything. So that you, you see in teachings like Nagarjuna's teaching, you say, well, um, are, so are you saying it's this? It's, you have A and B. So you're saying it's A and not B? And he goes, no. Oh, so you're saying it's B and not A? And he goes, no. So you're saying it's both A and B? And he goes, no. You say, well, then it's neither A nor B. And he says, no, it's none of those. Because those are all conventional logical relationships. So it, the idea is to use concepts to break up concepts. And I remember Trungpa Rinpoche used to say uh, there was a technique where if you got water in your ear, to get it out, they would take a syringe and squirt more water in. So, <laughs> so to break up your concepts, you were using concepts to break them up. And that was the training for debate. So the way that it applies to, that I apply it to my practice is um, to, whenever I come to any kind of conclusion, to question uh, the fixed quality of that and to recognize that my thoughts are a particular version of how I'm seeing things at a particular moment in time in a particular configuration of causes and conditions. And so then they, they have a more um, ephemeral, less solid quality to them. I hope that, I hope that that's helpful. I see um, there's some chat questions, and Kirsten has her hand raised. So let's call on Kirsten next. Hi, Kirsten. Hi there. Um, I have a question as it relates to uh, material that um, Andrew wrote in Dreams of Light. Uh, I, I'll, do, I, I'll do my best. Uh, I, it, this is pretty basic. Um, but the way he worded it, I kind of came up with a question. He describes uh, understanding emptiness. And he describes the part of understanding it intellectually. Um, what are the three stages that he puts here? <laughs> uh, one is where you actually sense it. One is you understand it, you experience it, and then you realize it. Those are the three categories that he talks about. 
Okay. And his his description, I I already have poked holes at my question, so uh, <laughs> this is kind of a dry run. <laughs> Self-existing self hole poking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay, understanding you go through that and then you experience it, and then he makes reference to the fact that this is really illusory that you really have to realize it and the question comes to me given the climate that we're in where there's a lot of stuff going on that's distressing out in the world and it would be really easy to say it's all an illusion I don't need to worry about it right. and, and then the idea of spiritual materialism comes in there or spiritual bypassing I guess is a better description like I'm using my practice to avoid engaging in something that I don't like. Yes. And so. Well, let, let's. Let, can I interrupt for one second? Please do. <laughs> okay. So, so this kind of ties into that question about debate. Uh -huh. so you said because it's an illusion, therefore I don't have to worry about it. How did you come to that conclusion that just because it's an illusion, you don't have to worry about it? Now, what if, what if you were walking through the jungle and it looked like that it was just a, um, uh, a uh, that you saw a uh, piece of rope on the, the, mm -hmm. um, on the trail. Yeah. Said, well, it's just, that's just rope. I don't have to worry about it. But it turned out it was a snake. And it bit Yeah. Well, you know. I think that your illusion that it was just a piece of rope, you did have to worry about. So, so just because, and, and let's say you're walking through that jungle and you see a patch of sand and you just think you'll just walk over that patch of sand, but yeah. it turns out to be quicksand. So just because it's an, it's an illusion doesn't mean you don't have to be afraid of it. Well, I guess the question that comes up with that and, and um, is, is the balance that one needs to cultivate. You know, you, right. you, you don't want to be pan panicked and, and paranoid about every step you take. That's um, right. And, and you don't want to think that a rope is a snake either, because then you have anxiety that has no basis. Right. And the spiritual bypassing thing you said was very important, that we can use spirituality to bypass relating with things. And that is where the two truths come in. Mm -hmm. And this is where you have to work with both absolute and relative truth. Okay? Okay. Uh, the, the terms in uh, Tibetan are kunzop and dundam. Uh, let me see if I can type those in here. Hang on a second. Here we go. As best I can remember the spelling. I think there's an umlaut over the O in Dundam. There you go. Okay. So uh, the word kunzak also means costume or facade. So 
that the relative truth is how things appear. And the absolute truth is how they actually are. As far as how they actually are, well, everything, you know, E equals MC squared. Their mass is just energy. You know, what we're seeing, our existence is light. This is quantum physics and all of that. Plus the emptiness quality that we talk about in the Dharma. Mm -hmm. But the relative truth is that uh, if you put your finger over a flame, you get burned. There's cause and effect. So we have to be aware of both. The, the absolute truth is what gives us a sense of humor about the whole thing. <laughs> the relative truth is what gives us rise to compassion because people are hurting. Ultimately, there's nobody there, but relatively, there's suffering. Yeah. So if we can maintain that sense of humor, and say, well, you know, um, it's an illusion, <laughs> but uh, it's an illusion that needs taking care of. <laughs> okay. I hope that's all helpful. right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's. Uh, I mean, what popped in my mind as I was articulating the question myself was, you know, if you really. If you're really there, you're being compassionate to the situation and your your heart, which is what you're you're cultivating, is jumps in there if you if you're really there. As I said, if you are not concerned about yourself, compassion is a naturally arising response to others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it was another way of, of, of coming to the same conclusion, but I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Kirsten. Um, let me read a chat question next. This is from Candy. I think I heard you say two things that I may have heard were connected. Not being focused on myself and being free of concept. Did I hear you link those, or did you say something else? Uh, I'm reading it, so I think I heard you say. Um, okay, not being focused on myself and being free of concept. Uh, well, it's all, all of these, uh, ideas, all of these expressions are ways of wording things. Well, I think my picture is, is my picture coming through okay? Mm -hmm. I might have too many windows open. Okay, good. So um, they're, they're like the facets, all the different facets of a jewel. You can look at things in so many different ways. So they they are connected in the sense that um, one of the ways that we use concepts, particularly, we use concepts to um, buttress or support our sense of ourselves. If we have a particular identity, and you know, we we, um, we can look at people with some—I won't mention any particular names—but 
with tremendous insecurity uh, about who they are. And they seem to have just the most rigid and, and, and the tightest grasp on holding onto their version of things and needing to distort and deny and whatever it takes to um, protect themselves and to be folk and focus on themselves. So that's the way the concepts and uh, focusing on oneself uh, go together. If you are not so focused on yourself, then you're free of cons of conceptualizing things with the reference point of what's in it for me. If you're only looking at things from that reference point, then you conceptualize everything transactionally. Now, free from concept doesn't mean that you, um, what I was talking about a free from concept, I was talking about the last line in one of the stanzas of the lineage supplication. May my, and it's a translation. They did not write this in English when they first wrote it a thousand years ago. They wrote it in Tibetan. And it's been translated as, may my meditation be free from conception. Um, but in this case, it's talking about concepts. Uh, again, it, there is a self-reference of my version of meditation, of what it's supposed to be or what it's not supposed to be, whether it, I'm good or bad at it. It's that kind of concept and evaluation and judgment. So I hope that's helpful to clarify. Thanks, Jim. Um, I'll read the next chat question. It's from Prem. And if you want to follow along, it starts, hi, Joseph. Question. Mm -hmm. I got it. Okay, so similar to Alex's question about meditation practice, when I began meditation with the labeling, thinking, daydream, et cetera, it was so helpful in getting started. But currently, it doesn't make so much sense to do that anymore as I am thankfully aware of when I'm thinking, daydreaming, et cetera. What I'm working with now is not too tight and not too loose, abiding slash resting in the space between the thoughts. Okay. I thought that was... I want, I want to interrupt you for a second, Andy, because um, mm -hmm. there are many pieces to this. So let's start with that, about the labeling. Um, the labeling is a support. If uh, it falls away by itself, let it fall away by itself. Um, you, you know, when you take a raft to cross a river, you don't drag the raft along with you over land. Um, you, you, you used it for its purpose. Now, when you say, I'm aware that I'm thinking or daydreaming, um, uh, well, if you're daydreaming, then you're not aware that you're daydreaming until the daydream pops and it's over. But at that moment, you don't, have, you don't have to label it, oh, that was daydreaming. Now I'd better get back to what I was doing. It sounds like, Prem, like that your practice has been, as soon as you have that moment of realization that you were lost in a daydream, you, you are already back and reconnected to the intention of your practice, whatever the object of your meditation was. So... I just want to clarify, that's fine. So continue reading, Andy, what I'm working with now. 
Sure. So what I'm working with now is not too tight and not too loose, abiding slash resting in the space between the thoughts. I thought that was, quote, resting in awareness. But is it? I recently heard there are three types of awareness, regular awareness, meditative awareness, and pure awareness. I'm confused about meditative awareness and pure awareness and the gap or space between thoughts. What are your thoughts on this, Joe? Ooh, lots of thoughts. Um, that's a lot of kinds of awareness. Uh, if you look at the stages of shamatha, or um, you can look this up, there are nine stages of resting the mind. And I don't want to go through all of them now, but it's in um, several different books, but it's called Nine Stages of Resting or Shamatha Practice. And in fact, there's a, uh, I think there's a, a, a art, a piece of art uh, or a, that's like, it shows the walk of an elephant on a, a, a switchbacks on a path. Um, but all of these are exactly um, these stages. Of, they're subtle distinctions in resting, resting naturally, resting free from this. You know, there, there are all sorts of different things. So the, the question of resting uh, in awareness between the thoughts well, what is between the thoughts? Between the thoughts is simply mind itself. So if you are resting in the nature of mind itself, that is Mahamudra Shamatha. That's what that is. So when you say regular awareness, I, I'm meditative and pure, I'm thinking of different grades of gasoline. You know, there, there's regular, premium, and, and high test. Um, I, I, I don't know who gave them those labels that you recently heard. Um, but again, there may be different uses of, uh, of the word awareness. And I would just be guessing at those. Um, when you say the meditative awareness and pure awareness about, and the gap or space between thoughts, well, Unless you are unconscious, then in that gap or space between thoughts, that's simply awareness itself as potentiality, nature, the nature of mind, which has the potentiality of tuning into whatever arises in that moment. That's what I would, that's what I would say. So I, I can't really say about those three that you heard. Um, but if you, you know, the only thing I could say is regular awareness, you could say, um, we are, you know, ordinary, ordinary people, ordinary language, just saying, uh, are you aware that your fly is open? Oh, no, I wasn't aware of that. Now I'm aware of it. Okay. That's regular awareness. Um, meditative awareness is what you're talking about ex of experiencing presence versus being off in daydream. And pure awareness is the nature of mind itself. That's what I would say. All right. Thanks, Joe. And Prem also said, so helpful. Thank you. Um, this next question is from Meg. Can you talk a little more about the significance of receiving a Dharma name? Hmm. I was 
given one years ago by Mingya Rinpoche when taking refuge that I love and would like to understand more about taking the meaning of the name onto the path. Okay. Um, you're given a name during the refuge ceremony. Uh, and that is often, I can't say always, often indicative of what you have to work with and work with and on, uh, on your path. My refuge name is uh, good exertion. And ex the, the word exertion is the paramita of exertion, virya in, um, in Sanskrit, sundru in Tibetan. So um, I know that I have a tremendous amount of energy and also a tremendous amount of laziness. So that's my path. <laughs> Working with laziness and procrastination and using, but using uh, energy and the translation of virya or sundru, of the parameet of exertion, is working hard with delight. In other words, naturally, um, expressing energy toward benefiting beings. So uh, I, I know a, a, a friend of mine, he's since passed away, but his, uh, his refuge name was Egoless Lion. And he had the hugest ego <laughs> of anybody you can imagine. And it was fierce. I mean, he fiercely proclaimed himself in many, many situations walked through the door, hi, I'm here. Well, that was, so, so, so um, egoless was the direction he needed to go in that, in that regard. Exertion is what I need to overcome my laziness. It's like that, um, that that's, that's the path you're going, that's the material you have to work with on the path. And the bodhisattva name, you get a bodhisattva name as well when you take the bodhisattva vows. And that's really more um, <clears throat> indicative of how you could manifest to benefit beings. That's my understanding of it. Uh, don't, don't take just my word for it. I would look it up, the meaning of Dharma names that are given in the refuge ceremony and the Bodhisattva. I'm curious, uh, Meg, what, what was your refuge name that was given to you? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, in the meantime, um, I'll give the audio to Myra, who has a question. Do you hear me? Mm -hmm. I can hear you and see you. How about that? Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, I don't it's know if you. I can hear and see something that looks like you on my screen. Uh -oh. Is it relative or absolute? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> um, I was um, thinking about one of the first questions that you have. I think is where we all struggle so much. And it's thank you for your class today. It's been a beautiful class, and it's been stirring some of the. Um, teachings that we've been studying, I always get into that when we go into the rope and the snake example that is so 
um, famous and, and we all can relate because we all had an image that we're walking in the dark path and maybe we didn't see a snake but we saw something and we had that moment where our body freezes and we're sure that was there. But my question is that in terms of that relative uh, truth, because the absolute truth is the emptiness, the fact that we have causes and conditions that we are forced to see things in a certain way, um, depends on who we are, I guess. Is that first premise more or less okay? Um, Before I go to my questions? I would say, yeah, in that, another way of talking about emptiness is uh, into the interdependence that everything exists in uh, in interdependence that nothing has its own uh, solid, permanent, separate, yeah. unitary, special, all those different words of, uh, of a sustained existence. So our obscurations on who we are due to, I mean, we can go into a cold class just on that, but when we see the rope that we think that is, there's a snake, for that fusion of what we see in that moment, there is a sort of a snake. It's in there? Um, Even though there is not a real snake that, that can yeah. bite me. That, that's right. And, and we react as if it's a snake. And the, and the analogy is to say the things that we take to be real um, are not what they seem. Things as they are, as opposed right. to things that, as they appear to be to us. And they appear to be a, a particular way based on our filters and expectations. And, and so... So you could be... Uh-huh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, no, so you could be walking with me and you may have seen something completely different. You, um, exactly. And, and exactly. Exactly. So at all you times, that's out. what you were you, telling somebody. You might freak out and go, ah, and I go, what, what is it? What is it? You said, it's the snake. I said, I don't see a snake. I just see a piece of rope. Could be very different. So the next step is that, it, so in, in a way, the path and the dharma and the lessons and the names is a way for us in whatever level we are to keep clearing uh, th those preconditions that we have, inter interdependent causes and conditions that forms somehow what appears to be a solid Myra looking at a solid telephone to a solid person in the other side. Yes, we have, we are using, we, we, we don't start out, boom, completely right. free of obscurations. And so we have to use concepts as stepping stones to undo the concepts if we didn't right. hear the and word that's what we were doing in the say that that's no, what we're doing in the meditation yeah that's what we were doing i we, we, we're doing in the meditation also all the all the steps of the meditation and the open awareness finally it just keeps dropping off 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 and you're not trying to push it away you're not trying to make it happen in a way right. but you have yeah. to have the discipline of the the steps unless you are a reincarnation of a big person that comes all the sudden and gets so <laughs> and, and, not... and even so they still have to go through their training and learn all the, the material, not just for themselves, but 
to be able to share that with others. So, <clears throat> so we all have uh, those stepping stones to take. And, and it makes me think of uh, the story about the Buddha where some farmers came to him uh, a, a couple of, uh, that were farmers, and they asked him questions, and then they said, so w what should I do? And he said, well, you'll be happier for yourself if you do this, and you'll be happier for yourself if you do that. And he, they left, and, uh, and Ananda, his attendant, said, you've been telling us for so long that, that we need to let go of this idea of a self but you told these farmers that they should meditate because it'll be good for themselves. And they'll be happier if they meditate. But you told us that's not the point. The point is to transcend ego. And, and he said, well, Ananda, everybody starts in a different way. Let me ask you this question. Let's say there are a bunch of children playing in a house and the house is on fire, but the children don't know it. Would it be wrong to tell the children that there's a pile of toys outside for them? And Ananda said, no, you know, it, in fact, it wouldn't be wrong even if there weren't any toys there at all, just to get them out of the house. And he said, well, then how much better is it to promise them that there are toys out there? And then when they come out, they find there's not just toys, there's a pony. <laughs> So, so he said, so I tell them they'll be, they'll make them, they'll be a happier self because that's what they can hear at this point. It's their stepping stone. And if they meditate, then they'll realize, hey, wait a minute, what is this self that I think I'm, is going to make happier? And then they have higher and higher and higher insights. And so that's. That's always the path that every step of the path create is an antidote to something previous, but a sticking point that needs to have an antidote to it. And so each step antidotes is an antidote to the previous and then needs the next step uh, to free oneself from that. And that's how Beautiful. we the path. That's how we chose yeah. the path. Very, very good. Thank you. Just to say, um, I'm looking forward to that lucid dreaming again. I just want to put a plug here because it's coming by the end of the month and it's just a lot more of this. So I, um, I participated in the uh, retreats before and I'm sure that it's going to be very good. Well, that's Thank you. You and I got to know each other last. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You were teaching yoga and I was teaching the open awareness. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Um, I have uh, the next chat question is from Tim, and it's private, Joe, so uh, you won't be able to see this one. Okay. Uh, but Tim says, there are so many forms of meditation and spiritual practice. Do you think there's any best or most efficient ones, or is it a matter of which one we are most attracted to? That's a good question. Um, it's not just attraction. It's um, it's helpful to have a connection to the uh, the lineage or the tradition 
in which this is all contained, in which the practice is contained. And it's really important not to just pick and choose and say, oh, this practice makes me feel good, this practice makes me a little edgy. Um, if you pick and choose, basically you're creating a meditative meditation practice version. It's like a, 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 a plaster cast of your ego. So you say, oh yeah, because I do this meditation because it makes me feel so good. Well, this meditation, you know, kind of makes me uneasy and, and groundless. So I don't want to do that. Yet, groundlessness is part of the path and, and letting go of uh, fixed reference points. So what we want is a combination of the two. The, the idea is, is it effective for you in the goals that are the meaningful goals. And that is transcending uh, self-centeredness and cultivating compassion. Transcending confusion, cultivating wisdom. So if your process is cultivating selfless wisdom and compassion, then you're on the right track. And, um, and, that's, and no one can tell that for you but you and i do want to share one of the chats uh from beryl this whole teaching is like one big koan great um the next chat question i was going to read is from judith but i see judith has her hand raised now so let me give judith the audio hi judith Hi Joe, thank you so much for this. It's been really great. I actually have two questions. And one is you talked about the gap between thoughts and then you talked about, you know, the nature of the mind. How do you get from the gap between thoughts to the nature of the mind? Mm, that's a good question. <clears throat> um, the transmission that I received from Trangor Rinpoche was um, look. And he opened his eyes like that. Look. Uh, How did you interpret that? <laughs> I tried not to interpret that. I tried to just look and not conceptualize what that meant. Um, but, but really, the, the, to me, the essence is to rest in it and then and then just um, it's almost like if you rest in it, you just see. And I, I remember Trump Rinpoche talking about, he said, it's not, uh, that's why it's not the looking for something. It's just looking. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an interesting thing. I was, I was talking with someone about uh, Native Americans and uh, the um, and the uh, people who came out west, the pioneers, when they would ask them how they, you know, they would look for something in the landscape, and the Native American, they would the scout would stand there for a few seconds and they go, oh. There, I see a man over there in the uh, behind that that big boulder over there, 
or near that big boulder over there. And, and the pioneer said, well, how'd you see it that fast? I'm looking at, and it was like the pioneer was taking little quadrants of the landscape and looking at that and then looking there and then looking there and then looking there and, and trying to scan the whole thing that way. And the Native American said, oh no, I just opened my vision as wide as I can and just look without looking for something. And then the detail appears. Um, my experience. Then, then, that, then that moment, that movement, I saw, then I saw movement because I was just looking. And yeah. so, so if you have that glimpse, and, and really what we're talking about is a glimpse into natural awareness, which is the, the potentiality, awareness without an object of awareness. And that, um, you know, I was, doing, I was doing the practice this morning and I, I said, I feel like I'm trying to taste my own tongue or see my own eyeballs. And it, and it, and it feels like that. And so I said, why don't I just rest and be my own tongue and be my own eyeballs? And then that, that kind of re resolved in that way. So it, it's, uh, it's identifying with the container rather than the contents of awareness. And you can think of it as a, a big glass jar that takes on the color of whatever is put into it. But it's not a solid glass jar because it has no shape and it has no size. It is just an open container of whatever, uh, of whatever bubbles up into it. Yeah. And that's what we want to identify with. That's our nature. Our nature is the potential for knowing. The contents are what that potential knows. Yeah. Second question. Yeah, thank you. The other question was, is you brought up this brought up the subject of um, what your Dharma name is. And I've often when I got mine, I was disappointed. And I felt that it was, you know, when I compared it to the other names, I felt that mine was like sweeping the floor kind of thing. M the, what I was given was Dharma. And I thought, oh, that means I'm right at the beginning, I, you know. Would you mind just saying something about that? What is your refuge name? Dharma. Just Dharma. Dharma. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the big three, you know. Oh, really? Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. You well, know, that's yeah. the teachings of the Buddha the, itself, you know. So yeah. maybe, you know, but... but uh, I'm glad that you felt like you were sweeping you were sweeping the floor because that was Shanti Deva's job. Yeah. One of the great teachers of the Mahayana, Shanti Deva, you know, guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. And he was yeah. the temple sweeper. So good job. I'm glad that you feel that way. That that's the best place to start as the as the temple sweeper. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> the, that's you know that's a that's actually a, a beautiful to simply be named uh, Dharma. Uh, that's that's beautiful. That's the, you know Dharma is uh, um, you could also think of it as a translation of as things as they are. 
So why don't you take that as the translation of your name? What's your name? Your name is, I represent things as they are. How's that? Thank you. That's great. <laughs> Thanks, Judith. Good to see you and hear from you. Um, I have a chat question next. It's from Simon. I knew this was coming. Yes. I'm reading um, Okay, yeah. So, good. Uh, can you... Can you please explain the four reasonings in valid cognition, reasoning of nature, casual efficacy, dependency, and valid proof, and how they can lead to extremes? Just a little question from Simon. That's, that's all of the teachings of valid cognition. Um, I would have to do some homework and go back in to have a look at that. Um, let me see what I can do. And Simon, if you'd like to have a separate conversation, because I, I don't have all of that information and definitely could not convey it in four minutes. Um, and I don't trust my memory because I haven't cracked the book on that in a while. So. If you can excuse me, I will work on that and come back next at some other time. And Andy, you can connect us if you'd like. Great, sounds good. Um, I have a chat question from Rachel. It's private, so you won't be able to see it, but it seems to be a two-part question. So when people see monsters, ghosts, or any entity during any time, like meditation, awake, dream, death, bardo, are they real? Question mark. And then I'll read the second part if you want for context, maybe. Oh, um, yeah, why don't you read this, the second part? You said the, in the private one, because Rachel also asked about my debate class. And I'll, I'll right. try to get information for Andy to post. But I don't teach that uh, anymore. But there, uh, I think there are some books about it from our classes. Um, well, the second part of the question is when something comes into our awareness, there is an object and observer. Can you explain the union of the object and observer to create non-duality? Okay, so the second part, uh, I can't explain the union of observer and object of observer as non-duality, um, but basically things in their true nature are non-dual. Duality is an overlay and a conceptual separation. So when we, let, when we are able to drop our concept of a separate um, independent self, that doesn't mean we don't exist. It means we're interdependent. When we drop that barrier uh, between observer and object of observation, then that the non-duality is already there. Now let's go to the first part. When we see a monster or something in our dream, is, is it real? It's an appearance in our awareness. That's why, as, as we talked about with Alex, it's real-ish. But we have to be very careful of uh, fixating on any of these things and attaching to them as real. It makes me think of the 
the story of the meditator who um, encountered a, uh, a huge spider in his uh, meditation retreat. And uh, this huge spider kept coming into his cave and it was, he was really afraid of it. And he told his teacher about it. And, and his teacher said, that's okay, keep meditating. And then one day he said, no, it scares me too much. I'm taking in a knife and I'm gonna kill it. And the teacher said, oh, before you do, in your next meditation session, if the spider appears, take this charcoal, he gave him a piece of charcoal, and draw an X on the stomach of a spider. Don't kill it, just draw an X on it. And then you'll know if it comes back again, you'll be able to kill it. So he drew the X on it. Uh, the, the spider appeared in his meditation session. He drew the X on it. And then he went in to tell his teacher, I did it, I did it. I drew the X and the teacher said, lift up your shirt. And he lifted up his shirt and there on his stomach was the X in charcoal. He said, good thing you didn't kill the spider because it was an expression of his own state of mind. So what we are seeing, is it real, is it not real? As, as Alex said, yes-ish. There are appearances in our mind. And, and then we have what we call relative reference point or consensual karma, if you will, that as human beings, we all encounter things in a particular, in a somewhat similar way. You know, um, different species encounter things in a way that is common to their species and somewhat different from other species. So from that point of view, we don't, we try not to fixate on real or not real. We try not to fixate on it's there or it isn't there. It appears in our mind. And that's the only place that we're experiencing things in our mind. But that doesn't mean that if we walk into a wall, we won't bump our head. So we've gotten through the chat questions at this point, unless anything else comes in, but we have one last hand raised right now and it's Katie. So okay. we're gonna wrap up with this one. Thank you. Katie. Yeah. Are you there? I'm here. Hi, nice um, to see you again. Oh, you can see, yeah, nice to see you and thank you so much. This is so um, illuminating and I'll try to be um, brief. Parsimonious. Hmm? Parsimonious, yeah. that's the word. I'll try to be parsimonious. Uh, not my forte, but I'm working on it. And um, I, I, I'm so grateful for all you said today. And what it brings up for me is a question about how you make decisions meaning how do you make decisions? Because you, know, you have this clarity about um, absolute and relative reality and how things are changing every moment. You know, that's a lot to consider in the decision-making process because like right here and now, this is where we are, all are and we are all sharing this understanding. And then, you know, five minutes from now, we'll be back in our little worlds and other things will come in, other appearances, et cetera. So I think you understand what I'm trying to say. It's also complicated. Yeah. How do you, Joseph, make decisions given all there is going on all the time with the appearance and the absolute and the changing all the time? 
Un understood. Um, yeah. As I said from Trungpa Roche's comment, um, when someone walks in the room, there's a fantastic display. When you can let go of self-reference, <clears throat> um, paths appear to you and you, the ideal, I don't say I do this all the time, but the ideal is a spontaneous choice without overthinking. That's really the ideal and say, you know what? This feels right. Now, when you make that decision, understand that any decision that you make brings some things into play and takes other things out of play. And so you, you see as big a picture as you can and then say, I, you, and this is really important, this is in, in everything I teach in my performance coaching as well, pre-acceptance. You, you look at the possible outcomes as best you can see them and say, I can handle how any of these turn out. And therefore, I can make a commitment to this path. That doesn't mean forever. That means a, 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 when I say path, I don't mean Dharma path. I mean this path that I'm taking in decision-making moment to moment. Right. And I'm going to then follow out the flow chart, follow out how, thing, how things go, and, and have a, an awareness of my boundaries, the boundaries that I need to function, and, um, and clarifications, and continuing to ask for more clarifications. And Trungpa Rinpoche said, when, when somebody asks, how do you go ahead? He said, you have your vision, and then you adjust. <laughs> okay. Right. And that's all you need to know. Right, okay. So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, yeah. My pleasure. I'm, I'm gonna do the dedication of merit that I traditionally do. I'll leave space if you wanna uh, recite following me. May the practice we have just done be of benefit to others as well as ourselves. So thank you.